Thanks, Mike. So the wedding at Cana, this is one of my favorite stories, my top five stories in all of Scripture. This is where Cana Community Church name came from, this, <coughs> this story, the wedding at Cana. Remember the opening quote today was from Michael Card? This is in our original vision statement. Lord of light, come to this wedding, take the doubt and darkness away, turn the water of lifeless living to the wine of gladness, we pray. I love that. I love that. And I have been praying for six years, and I continue to pray that that is true of anyone who participates in Cana, that we will know this transformation that Michael Card sings about and that this story talks about. And I thought as we begin our seventh year together, it would be appropriate to revisit this story from where we get the name of our church. And I think the timing also makes sense because we're on the threshold of the Advent season. The Advent, when we Christians uh, turn our eyes towards Bethlehem and we celebrate the arrival of God among us in the form of the Christ child. But remember, his actual birth was a very private arrival. Very private. You know, it's come to be a big deal over the last 2,000 years. But when it was happening, Mary and Joseph, some dirty shepherds, a few, a couple smart guys, and, and maybe some displaced animals were the only ones that knew that God had arrived. It was, it was very private. But here, this moment at the Cana wedding, this was really his public arrival. Prior to this, he had lived in relative obscurity, and he had only just started gathering disciples. I think he had five disciples by the time he came to this wedding here at Cana. But he comes here, and John tells us that it was the beginning of his signs, the first of his miraculous signs. So this really, in many ways, is the Advent. This is the Advent. And maybe that's why John didn't bother to tell us about the birth. He's the only gospel writer that didn't tell us about the birth. Maybe that's because this is his Advent for John. Here, Jesus began to reveal to the world that he was the Messiah. He was God of us. The wedding at Canaan. Now, I know most of us are very familiar with this story, whether we know it by the title Wedding at Cana, <clears throat> Jesus' first miracle, the turning of water into wine. I would like to call it Jesus messing with the servants' heads. It's very familiar to all of us, no doubt, but it's so magnificent in scope that I'm hoping as we study it, and we're going to study it over four weeks, okay? So if you can write your calendar around the next four weeks that we're going to be involved here. I just hope we realize as we go through it, it's so much more than the Sunday school teaching we were taught, and maybe we'll discover something new, something life-changing that we can apply to our lives. So, the very way John introduces the story should immediately capture our imagination on the third day. Right, right away when you read that, right away your mind should stop. On the third day, a wedding happened in camp. For me... Personally, John's Gospel is my favorite book. I think it's one of the greatest pieces of literature written. I know over the last two years we've all been amazed to find out about St. Paul and his compositional brilliance. But for me, this is my favorite piece of literature. I return to it again and again. And also, theologically speaking, I think at some level the Gospel of John contains the whole Bible. And it is this kind of thing that John does, this introduction to this story that makes me think this about his book. It's just filled with, with spectacular things like this. So John is preparing people right off the opening line, telling the story. He's preparing people who are reading it. Get ready. Get ready for something incredible. Because the third day, what happened on the third day? Everyone knows, 
Resurrection. Resurrection happened on the third day. Both the Apostolic and Nicene Creeds include this language. The third day he rose again. On the third day he rose again. Jesus himself used this language. On the third day he will be raised to life. Peter and Paul used it. Peter in his, one of his sermons, God raised him from the dead on the third day. Paul to the Corinthians, he was raised on the third day. The Old Testament prophet Hosea used it. On the third day he will restore us. And, trivia, when did the Old Testament hero Esther take her stand? On the third day. Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. The third day. So on the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan. And I think it deserves our attention. Very much so. John identifies this event by time. And what is interesting is that John uses a term which is both immediate. It's immediate. This is the third day, the third 24-hour period since Jesus was baptized. And also, this is a term that's transcendent. The third day when Christ rose again. This goes beyond time and space. This is about when the world was redeemed. When the old became new, when death became life. That's what happened on the third day. Now, the Greek has two terms which speak to this difference in meaning. Kronos and Kairos. Okay? Kronos, from which we get chronic, lasting a long time. We get chronicle, which is an account of events through a sequence of time. And we get chronology, which is an itemized study, measurement of time. This is the immediate idea of time. This is what we use to plan our days. It's what we put in our iPhones. Okay? It's, it's, it, a good way to call it would be, this is our time. Our time. Kairos is different. Kairos is the sense of eternity, the always now. Because you can't really say eternity is long. It's immeasurable. It's infinite. Right? The great song, Amazing Grace, captures Kairos perfectly. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This used to scare me as a little kid. <laughs> Honestly. Because I couldn't wrap my... Like, I can still remember my dad sitting on my bed and be like, but dad, forever? Like, forever? It's Kairos's... Kairos is the icon of eternal life. A good way to describe Kairos would be God's time. So Kronos, our time, and Kairos is God's time. In both of these ideas we find here in the story of the wedding at Canaan. They're both here. So the wine runs out, and Jesus' mother, Mary, gets involved. And she says to her son, hey, they're out of wine, do something about it. And Jesus says, well, how is exactly this my responsibility, Mom? I've got a great idea. We're guests. Why don't we mind our own business? And I think at that point, Mary probably leaned over and whispered in his ear very quietly and very sternly, they're out of wine because you brought the five drunk fishermen who drank it all. <laughs> That's my paraphrase, but I'm sticking to it. But regardless if that's how exactly what was said, just when you read the story, it's a classic mother-son scene, isn't it? They're both talking to each other, but they're not listening to each other. <laughs> and then Jesus says this remarkable thing. My hour has not yet come. 
And the word used here for hour has behind it in the original the idea of kairos time. God's time. Not chronos time. And this is important. Because beyond this human interaction between Mary and her son, something remarkable is taking place. Jesus by now is obviously very aware that he's the Messiah. And that an hour is coming when he will suffer horribly and be killed. And this is why he talks of God's time. But interestingly enough, he seems to build, still be functioning at that moment in Kronos, in his time. It's as if he's saying, wait, that hour's not here yet. I don't have to play that role. And maybe he's thinking it will happen much later on in life. Maybe he was thinking when he's 50 or 60 after he's had a chance to live. He knows God's time is coming, but for now, he is following his time. And I appreciate that. As a human, and remember, Jesus is perfectly human, who wants to suffer and die? But then something happens. God's time comes crashing in on his time. He goes from saying, no, 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 it's not God's time yet, this is still my time, to all of a sudden, it's God's time. And now he is placed firmly on the road to the cross. Remember, and we're going to see this over the next few weeks, this is not some simple miracle. Beyond all of the depth to this story, the one major thing that John points out, this was the beginning of his son. This was, hello world, I'm the Messiah. And that's exactly what God would All of us here know, or will know, this crashing down of God's time into our lives. We're going along in our carefully choreographed lives. We make all our plans. We do everything we can to assure those plans come true. We create for ourselves in our time a wonderful little life of success and safety, financial security, we give our lives meaning and importance, and then it all changes in an instant. We go to work where we've been for 15 years, and we get called into the human resource department before lunchtime, and they give us a pink slip. We discover our spouse of 25 years has been having an affair, or they just don't love us anymore. Our stock portfolios go from being a comfortable retirement nest to being worthless. The doctor tells us that that cough in our chest is not seasonal bronchitis, it's stage 4 lung cancer. The perfect baby that we loved and held grows up to be more interested in drugs and crime than anything else, etc., etc., etc. And we all know that. And what's so amazing about our community is that it's a small community, but we could literally go seat to seat. And just in the last year, never mind the last six years, we're all familiar with how life changes in an instant. God's time comes crashing in on our lives. On the third day, a wedding happened in Canaan. 
and Jesus' time became God's time. And I think that this is a very helpful way for us to understand and to think of these moments of life-changing events that happen to us. To think of them as the endless possibilities of eternal time overtaking the limited possibilities of our time. Because while Kairos often breaks upon us in moments of profound suffering, and I understand that, it is in this suffering that we are invited to participate in the redemption of the world. Think about that. Isn't this what Paul was trying to get at? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And to the Romans, and indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the great Paschal mystery. We talk about this a lot at Cana. Listen, we're all going to suffer. And the Bible says, so you have a choice. You can understand and embrace your suffering as part of the cross or not. But we're all suffering. Paul understood it <clears throat> so beautifully as part of the cross. Part of the redemption of the world. <clears throat> and here's the beautiful thing. God's time always means redemption is near. Consider Jesus' reaction to God's time. Instead of running and hiding or becoming angry and bitter, which would have been perfectly understandable, he turned the water of lifeless living into the wine of abundant living. He reached out, and as we will see as we go through this story, again, no simple miracle. This was loving others in very profound and life-changing ways. And in the process, he was beginning to lay down his own life. And that's what Kairos Times offers us. Kairos Time offers us the opportunity to live into love. <coughs> to live in a way in which we are loving others in the midst of our suffering. And in the midst of our pain. And to bring the gift of God's redemption to ourselves and ultimately the world around us. As Christians, the beautiful story of the gospel is that, yes, suffering comes, but suffering saves the world. And God offers us to participate with Him in that. I know it's a mystery, and I know there's been libraries written on the problem of pain. But I think it's, it's a rather beautiful mystery. Our suffering is not needless, and it's not in vain. It's God's time asking us to participate in the greatest story in the world. May God's grace help us all to see the reality and
purpose of God's time. And give us the courage to live fully into it. Suffering, an excuse to love others. There's a new way to think of it. An excuse to love others. An opportunity to save the world. My God help us all. Amen.